You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my good friend Peter Overzet, as we so often do, just to do a little bit of a, of a catch-up. We are, of course, both in our, our very busy season right now as we are grinding out the content for the NFL. We covered a little bit of, uh, you know, just the evolving world of DFS strategy and then took a long look at sort of what we did during best ball season and managed season, and also uh, tried to discuss, you know, how we would fix the uh, the tournament fantasy football space in terms of payouts, waivers, things like that. I hope that you guys will enjoy it. If you want bonus episodes, bonus episodes of the show, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash takecast. Uh, if you want to support us, you can just tell a friend about the show or leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcoming Mr. Peter Overzet back to the Takecast. You can also watch this on the wildly popular Peter Overzet YouTube channel. Uh, obviously, Peter and I have to have all of our conversations recorded, and really... I've been noodling around on some stuff as it pertains to, to DFS and to the FFPC that, uh, I mean, Kitchen just doesn't let us get a word in on these shows. Like if the Titans are on a slate, we we just have, and, and anytime the, the school cast gets a little bit high-minded, we start to talk about some theory. Kitchen's like, you know, did you see Chigo Congo? So, so I figured this is a good time to do it. Wow. So you're saying that Kitchen is the one directly responsible for this take cast uh, show here? Yeah, I don't. I don't think because uh, normally these shows are a little bit better in the off season. We can get, uh, you know, we can stick our pinkies out and talk about all of our our life optimization stuff. But uh, we we got some we got some real stuff to talk about today. I think in general. Well, the other way you can really stick it, we'll know that your thesis is true if you do like a a showdown slate cram with Tuttle and you just start doing uh, content with everyone from the Swolecast without Kitchen. There you go. I mean, showdown. You want to talk about? You want to talk about something that feels so dead, like Jake Ferguson last night. Uh, and, and I mean, this is this is um, this can be evergreen. In this, like, just replace Jake Ferguson with Donald Parham or whoever. Like these these Reggie Gilliam plays. This was something that Brian mentioned to me a couple weeks ago. But once those guys go from being like one percent to five percent, it it might be time to you know, rededicate the mental energy somewhere else. And Jake Ferguson was legit owned last night. Yeah. And it, I mean, it like, it, it makes sense. You know, we've mainly been talking about it with main slay and ownership steam and GPP steam, but you can also look to, you know, Cody at ETR. Those guys are driving a lot of thoughts with showdown stuff Run the Sims showing your product ownership alongside the most simulated lineups. Like there's tools everywhere. Like the field is just unquestionably smarter in thinking about DFS in ways they weren't just a few years ago. Like is the shitter guy even play anymore? This is, this is like the bit that Mayo does. Like when you go on Mayo show to do DFS and be like, okay, who are the guys, you know, the guy he's, he's on the toilet getting away from his wife for 15 minutes before lock. Who are the guys that that guy is playing? And like, does that guy even play DFS anymore, or does he just fire eleven legs in game parlays? Dude, shitter guy. This is what shitter guy is doing. Shitter guy now runs the optimal the night before, and then is remembering those <laughs> plays when he, he builds it on his phone. Like shitter guy is using an optimizer now. He's shitter guy has a blended optimal. 
going into the toilet. I swear to God. This this team that you found in the spy that was in ninth for a while with Teddy Bridgewater played Brandon Ayuk in the flex. Like that was that was the most that was the biggest work of art I've ever seen in the spy in my life. Yeah, that was uh absolutely incredible. And the thing too is like you can't a lot of people were like, oh, he built this lineup on a Tuesday, but like Dion Jackson was in it and Jonathan Taylor and Naive Heights hadn't been ruled out yet. So I'm like I don't know what this guy was doing, but we we need weeks like that, right? It's like the same thing with poker where you have to have some randomness. Like you have to have the fish be able to get there sometime. Otherwise, who you can have as many 150 maxers as you want. But if you don't have the shitter guys putting in lineups in there without a chance at a million, then the whole ecosystem dries up. And I mean, it is like trending that way. Uh, the These sports books do not really care. Like FanDuel... And DraftKings don't really care about getting the spy filled. They just want as many people possible firing same game parlays. Although I did, uh, I did see a legal sports report article the other day on how people are basically losing too fast now with these same game parlays. So, like you know, traditionally speaking, you 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 acquire a new customer for a sports book. You have these people bet sides and totals for a year. And because of the way the function of the lines work, like they can win 52% of those sides and totals over the year, feel like they're getting one over on you, but they're actually losing. Whereas like, I mean, you could, you could bet 10 same game parlays and just simply not win and just, yeah. And, and you're like my, so sports betting just got legal in Kansas where uh, all my buddies live. They all live on the Kansas side of Kansas city. And a bunch of them have already ran their accounts down to zero. Basically, with all the free money and everything they got, all the free bets, all the promos, they're already totally out of money. Yeah. And, I mean, it also comes down to uh, we're, we're going to have uh, sports betting legalized here in Massachusetts soon. I think it's tentatively scheduled for, like, February and March of 2023. But still, it like, it doesn't capture my attention. I know that, like, hitting one of those single-game parlays can – even maybe be slightly better odds than winning the Millie Baker in DFS, but like the puzzle piece element of it and all this, you know, shifting dynamics and all of that, it's still really hard to beat. That's why we keep coming back to this, right? Because it's so fun to try to crack this code every single week. What, what is your plan when uh, legal sports betting gets implemented in Massachusetts? Are you gonna, are you gonna be like, uh, you know, firing these these establish the run props that get that get wiped off the board in 10 minutes or are you just going to be donkey betting these parlays the thing for me with this is like and tell me how you are i get zero sweat equity right now out of sports absolutely betting. not zero absolutely it's it's like i do sports bet every week yeah but my my primary like i i come back and check sunday night when we do the gill cast if i won or lost i'm not sweating it the same way i'm sweating dfs Right. Like the way you sweat, you know, players on our main event teams, guys that you have more than 15% in best ball mania guys in your DFS, you know, single entry lineups. Like you feel that in your stomach. It's like when I have these prop bets or even my underdog pickup slips, it's like, yes, I want to get it in good. I want to get a good line, but I'm just not getting sweat equity out of those whatsoever. So I don't know. I mean, the, the times I have the most fun sports betting are with my buddies. Like when we get together and we do a communal bet and I don't care about the line and we're all cheering for the same thing. Like that's fun for me. But I mean, on the other hand, I have been seeing, you'll see people like Jam to Win or Blender who might be having uh, down seasons with DFS tournaments, but they're like breaking even because they're crushing the early prop markets and all of these stuff on underdog and prize picks and stuff. So part of me thinks I should be like offsetting my play a little bit more, but it just doesn't fully capture my interest as much as other things. Well, I mean, it's come down to the thing that you and I have talked about before. Like if all we were trying to do was extract the absolute maximum value out of all of this stuff, we like wouldn't be jamming teams in the spy or whatever. We'd be grinding overlay on Yahoo, assuming right. they still have it and like probably playing more on FanDuel and stuff. Like, you know, there there's like a, a mix of entertainment and of course and and you know expected value like i i don't know dfs is is just fun it's obviously really nice to win it's and like there is like kind of a, a joy and comfort in in tilting too 
Of course. Yeah. I mean, in what really kills is like me just having a decent week this week and it like still does not even get me anywhere close to in the green on the year, but just the mental thing, all this win will give me at least like two to three weeks before I feel like absolute dog shit again. Whereas like three weeks in a row of just getting your teeth kicked in and then you're like, is this really worth feeling miserable? But then you get one little taste of a, of a 3.5 X mid cash. You're like, all right, I'm back baby. So how has uh you know the some of the extreme chalk getting there this week like how how have you integrated that into your process i honestly like i always reference when i first did my bankroll challenge i did it on the roto grinders youtube channel and like i would never thank god i think something got like um nuked on their old youtube page remember even a bunch of swole casts i think got removed from yeah. there and i'm so glad a bunch of those videos aren't up because god i was such an awful dfs player and i truly had no process i was the guy overreacting to chalk hits chase chalk contrarian hits chase that and like no process and this year when you know people are chirping at me for not playing you know quote unquote good chalk i at least know i have a process like i know the plays i'm looking at i'm looking at projected ownership projected ceilings i i truly know if i'm too galaxy brain or not because i'm looking at the numbers to confirm it and you know I do like I build lineups with Leone. So I'm naturally pushing to be like more contrarian because that's his style. And I've learned a lot playing from him. So I don't really worry about that stuff more because I finally feel like I truly have a process. But like from a content perspective, like how fun it is to have it be like litigated every single week as it ping pongs back and forth. It's like no shit, guys. It's because nothing is a constant in the NFL, despite us wanting to have rules that can fit into everything. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I don't necessarily know if the field, like, I think the field generally has gotten pretty efficient on ownerships, but I, it does feel to me like maybe one of the things that the field is is not responding to, maybe the way they could as much is like, just a lot of these games are very low scoring relative, like scoring yeah. is down across the entire NFL, uh, unders are just absolutely crushing. Also, like good teams are just not taking care of bad teams. You know, like the Buccaneers losing to the the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Rams. I mean, the Super Bowl champions are like just this objectively gross team. And like I, I it does kind of make me think that obviously we had the one crazy outlier uh, outlier game with, with Denver and uh, or not Denver with Detroit and Seattle. But yeah. I do wonder if just like. Not, not, not quote unquote playing the best plays, but something you, you talk about on the cram show is like, you don't really have to get that many things, right? Like some, some of I, and this has been true for me too. A lot of my best results have basically been quarterback, double stack, double bring back. You get one, one off really right. One, one off kind of right. And like 11 points from your defense and boom, you have a top 10 team in the spy. But I do wonder, well, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to say that's so true too. In there, it, there is a, an element of too, right? Like we spend a lot of time looking at these plays, looking at the numbers. And unless you're playing like a ton of lineups, like I'm generally only playing two or three lineups that I really care about. Like there's not enough space to get in all the plays you like. So to that point, it would be easier to just load up Lamar double stack, bring it back with Saquon and Wandell. That's like a smart lineup if that game pops off. And yet it's like, well, I want to get in this mini correlation. I want to get in this one-off leverage piece. And it does end up, there is an element of it's fun to get in more plays that you like. Oh yeah. I mean, no, absolutely, absolutely no, uh, absolutely no doubt about it, which is why on Sunday morning, I'll be like, yeah, you know, like, okay, I got my team in the spy, got my team in the red zone, a couple of these $12 single entries. And then I just end up making like six teams in the slant. Cause I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I didn't cover, I didn't cover all the combos, but I do, especially with Allen and Hertz, I do wonder if just playing those guys with one guy and it, specifically with Allen, just no bring back because the bills defense is so good. Like I guess yesterday, theoretically an Allen Diggs, Gabe Davis, Juju team could have won the millionaire yeah. maker had, had the combos. Like I, I think the salary maybe wouldn't have worked out because there wasn't a cheap guy unless maybe Wandale could have been in like the winning teams, but I, I just don't think he was played enough to get in those combos. But just in general, I do. I, I think maybe the, the bring backs, it's so hard to say. Cause that this is where you start tying yourself in a mind pretzel. Cause then you're like, well, too many people are bringing you back, but like, oh, well, what if Buffalo, Kansas City went over the total? Then you wouldn't be saying that. So it's 
which is why Brian, which is why, you know, our friend, our friend Brian just says, don't worry about any of it and just, just run the Sims, bro. Do what the computer says. Well, it's true because you think about how much our conventional wisdom on a week to week basis, like we have a general thing. Like I would normally say this for both like best ball and DFS, like Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, you want to double stack those guys. They're not giving you anything on the ground. So if they get there with four to five TDs, it's going to be through multiple pass catchers. And then it's like, well, we see the Jamar chase alpha game. And no one else gets there. Like Jamar Chase and Burrow, um, you know, Hoko narrative, uh, all there, just alpha stack. And yet that blows up the conventional wisdom of double stacking. And so it's just like the pendulum's constantly swinging and all of these correlations and things point us directionally, right? In the right direction, probably over a hundred slates, you would want to double stack Joe Burrow. But that doesn't mean on a given Sunday that the alpha stack doesn't hit. Well, and Joe Burrow also ran for a 20-yard rushing touchdown, which True. I would I, I would guess will probably end up being his longest career rushing touchdown. Like if you just I mean, it's the same thing as like, you know, the the Mac Hollins career game. He uh since Mac Hollins had 37 DraftKings points in a game, he yeah. has three I think it's it's three receptions for 33 yards in two games since then. So it's like I don't know. And and honestly, kind of at the end of the day, it is just like all of this stuff is so heavily variant. I, I think some of your teams to start the season were taking it a bit too far with such an extremely low product ownership. But I mean, yesterday or uh, uh, the Eno Benjamin stuff, great example of like the field just got way too overconfident in this guy. Although I think if you run that Eno game back a lot of times, I mean, he, he still does end up in the optimals because he was even a better play in terms of usage than was being projected. His usage yesterday was great too. And it's so sick, man, because the Eno thing was just the perfect storm where it's like, if you just remove the name and you say like a normal DFS slate and you're like 60% punt play running back and, oh, and you get behind early. Like I basically have 0% Eno Benjamin, like the way I play, like guaranteed, but it just so happened. Oh, fucking guy. I love to death. Eno Benjamin. Oh, and my early pieces smashed in my main spy lineup. So it's like, of course I'm going to fucking eat the Eno Benjamin chalk. And it's like the one week I get to be a chalk donkey. Um, it, it, it of course all fails on me. How did, I mean, how did, how did it feel to be rooting for your guy along with 60% of the rest of the field? How did that, how did that go down for you? I wasn't even rooting for him because I was like, let's look at these other pieces. I had the Rams defense at 4%. I had Marquise Brown at 12% rest in peace. And uh, so those were the pieces I was focusing on. I mean, I had, I wasn't even rooting for, you know, anymore at that point. Yeah. I mean, kind of along the same lines as like DFS fields getting better and it being harder to win. I mean, the main event is also like it. When I first started doing these, like every team we would be against, I'd be like, that guy drafted shitty. That guy has no yeah. idea what he's doing. That guy has three quarterbacks. That guy has his starting four running backs in the flex. And it's like, everyone's, everyone's just pretty good now. I, I think the, the, and, and we were talking about this with Gretchen Corrine the other night, um, you know, about how strong or how weak the waiver wire has been. And Gretchen was kind of saying, well, you know, there has kind of been the guy, which I disagree with. I don't really, there's not been a, the guy on waivers this season i guess maybe unless you were lucky enough to get curtis samuel but because people are are um allocating their rosters correctly now it's just harder like when every team carried two quarterbacks and teams are carrying two kickers and two defenses there were way more running backs out there yeah and i think the other probably big macro shift that's happening and is not or it's the same across all of these contests ffpc underdog DraftKings tournaments is they all are extremely top heavy tournaments and people i think it's people have finally come on board with holy shit it is really hard to get first place i'm gonna shoot for upside at all costs and you're seeing that with draft picks with players like people are taking big ceiling cuts like at every step of the way and there's not an edge there before it's like what you know the dink thing what what do you win when you win like everyone is seeming to kind of come around on that. And so you don't, you can't get the high upside bench stashes. Like we draft, uh, dropped Traylon Burks in some of our main event leagues, which I think was justified with his IR and the bye weeks and stuff. And like, he got snatched right up by other teams who maybe had better records because they're willing to take on that risk. Everyone is more or is less risk averse, I think, than they used to be. I mean, Burke's a great example of a guy who even three years ago, Traylon Burks not only would not have been picked up if he got dropped, like literally may have not been drafted in some main, like a first, a first round wide receiver 
who like goes to like a, a kind of an uneven situation, I mean, just maybe would not have been drafted at all. Well, take a really good example of that. Would, and I wasn't playing main events at the time, but was the Odell Beckham year, right? Where he was injured for the first six weeks, 2014. I know in my season long leagues, like he was picked up like the week he returned. And I bet yes. in those main event leagues, I guarantee you Odell Beckham was on the waiver wire week four. Oh, at, no, no, absolutely no doubt about it. And, you know, Chase ruined it for everyone by being so good. Yeah. But the guy who actually ruined this whole thing for everyone grinding out the edges is Justin Jefferson. Because Jefferson was in a spot where it's like, he's not going to start. He he was not starting to begin the year. He was uh, like, and it's so funny to think about this now, but people did like Jalen Rager more, right? People, and, and Rager had a clearer path to playing time. But now, I mean... And, and Dotson kind of shoved it in people's faces this year. Dotson was like 10th, 11th round in the main event. I mean, my guess would be it would have to be a really historical anomalous spot for any first round rookie wide receiver to go after pick 100 in the main event from like for the rest of fantasy football. Well, I think now the only like the edges there, right, are just finding arbitrage versions. So, um, you know, a bunch of donkeys steamed Sky Moore up into the the seventh <laughs> round. And then we're all Garrett looking for the guy who did this. <laughs> and then Garrett Wilson and Jahan Dotson were still going super late. So there are like opportunities where we could arbitrage that. We drafted Garrett Wilson in a ton of main event leagues. But even that like feels like it'll dry up next year. Like how the fuck? were people letting Garrett Wilson fall that far? Although maybe they'd say because they knew Zach Wilson was going to take over and the whole team was going to be dust. But um, that it, it is like micro edges now versus like slam dunk edges. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I, it's also like I do think, to be honest, like the ship chasing crew in general has had a huge impact on and, and not just you guys, but just kind of the whole tenure. Because, you know, I'm in this FFPC boomer group chat and like their takes and situations and like player rankings so much more closely resemble the way I think about the game that I'm like, there's, there's such a, a homogeneity uh, in, in fantasy football content now, right? Like it's all about, it's all about usage. Like uh, John Terrell Hilliard, great example. John Terrell Hilliard scores two touchdowns in week one and like doesn't even get picked up in some leagues, you know? Right. And what's interesting about that too, is like, it has to be even more demoralizing for the grinders. Right. Because like, you're trying to realize that edge across a huge portfolio. And yeah. so you feel that edge shrinking, like even more so than, you know, we drafted, I think 12 main event teams this year. We got to do a bunch of fun streams, got to do lots of co-manager drafts and like, yeah, we're trying to bank a team that can win a million dollars like that. That is our goal though. I would be even more demoralized if I had a hundred of those teams, it was going to the waiver to try to add, you know, one of these guys. And then you're like, Oh shit, he's already rostered everywhere. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is uh, like a, a pretty big bummer. And I mean, also like I would, I, I really would love to see the payouts get a little bit flatter Yeah. or like, like go back to half a million dollars to first place. Uh, a little bit more prize money, I think, for winning your league actually would just do a great job balancing that out. Like, I, I think it's it's if you win total points and you win your playoff, you can get 6K on a $1,600 or $2,000 entry, depending on if it's your first or, or latter teams. Uh, like that, that would do, I think, a really good job of balancing out some of the risk reward. And if our if our thesis is true that the field is getting sharper across all these contests, sharper players also want flatter payout structures. The whole point of super top heavy prizes is because it's a marketing funnel to be like, oh, I can turn $20 into a million. But if the field's getting sharper to that, like at what point, maybe that's what we really need to do. Like we need to like lead the charge on this chorus of like, we want flatter payout structures. Cause I do think it'll be overall good for the ecosystem too. If there's more winners and you know, we've, we've given underdog a hard time about the first place million dollar prize to the regular season. I do think they'll correct that going forward and spread that out. Like you look, uh, you know, we have our notorious bit for not sweating best ball teams, but people really resonate with seeing their name in the top 500 of yes. that leaderboard. They, there has to be a reward for that. Like you have to get some kind of cash payout if you finish top 500. Like we got to take that million and smooth it out because then that sweat 
could actually be real. Like you see your name, like if you see your name in 400th right now, I'm sorry, buddy. Like there's nothing there. <laughs> like, I mean, there's, there's nothing. What, what, what is 400, like a hundred bucks probably. I mean, no, 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 Davis. It's, it's $20. It's just advancing. All you're doing is advancing out of your round in, in your guaranteed nothing. There's no listen, prize right now. Yeah. Rudman. Hayden. <laughs> Look, we love you. I mean, that is, that is, that is untenable long-term, even as a business, because I, I mean, look, everyone's looking forward to that, uh, that January 3rd stimulus, right? Everyone like yeah. best ball money. It's, it, it is totally like finding a $20 bill, you know, you know, stuck in your pocket, right? Like, uh, you're, 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 I think most of us for best ball entries were like, that money is spent. That is not yeah. an investment. That money is spent. That is entertainment. That is, uh, for you and I, that is content. Like you're not you're not expecting the million dollar reward based off that. It's very different than DFS because it it goes into a hole for so long. And I think that I mean it, it truly is like if we you talk about entertainment and sweat equity, best ball is king. Nothing can even come close to matching the entertainment value, the content value. You also are because it's like delayed gratification on results. Like it's extended all the way out it's like what i used to tell my mom growing up like mom i'm only spending five dollars to go play poker for four hours like you think poker's the devil and yet the entertainment equity of getting spread out across these four hours is so high like best ball is unbeatable right now for the bang for your buck on entertainment yeah absolutely and i mean i think people accept that and and uh the rake is not that high on underdog right no. the rake is at its very like industry best 10 percent. so it's not that you're getting crushed by the rake it's just that it is like a payout structure would be like so you, let's say we do uh dollars for the first place regular season champion and then corresponding payouts to what the top 100 scoring teams that seems that seems fun that seems equitable um and then you you flatten the payouts you get Let's say maybe for winning your league, you double your money. Uh, what what is the what is if you win your league right now? Like probably not even close. Yeah, uh, I I need to. I, I think it's literally just like I think it's thirty dollars. It's thirty dollars to advance out of. There are there are, and and just like from an ecosystem perspective, that is that works. I, I, I mean, that would work way better than $2 million to first place, a million dollars to second place, a million dollars to the regular season champion. That's 40% of the money going to three people. Like a, a redistribution of that is great for their ecosystem. You're going to have people, you know, doing MLB best ball drafts, like all the stuff that's available, uh, you know, all summer long, which are really fun. Like Battle Royale and these other games are super fun. And that's a good point too. Like, I think maybe there are some other things. Like, what if you paid out a percentage to the weekly top scorer uh, across the whole thing? And then you get another sweat. You could have a weekly leaderboard for just week six who had the highest scoring team and they get a payout. Like, anything to like re engage it to smooth that money out. Because I'm just at the point where I really think do we really think underdog's not going to fill a flagship tournament? Do we really think FFPC is not going to fill the main event just because they smooth it out? Like I'm ready to test that hypothesis. I wish I could even put together a crew with deep pockets and, and be like, let's make this bet. Like you smooth out these things. We'll pick it up if it overlays, you know, like I, I don't, I don't want to do a negative free roll like that, but I do really think it's time we actually test this out and see how much that marketing is really driving fill rate. Yeah. And I mean, it's also like they could also scale back the size like for both of these and st and and keep like I would play best ball mania if the rake was 13%, you know. And the main event has super high rake and I I would imagine anyone entering the main event uh, did you even think for a second about the difference between a million dollars and half a million dollars? Like I don't care. No. I yeah. don't I don't either. Like the whole thing is like that that's a, such a good point too. Like it's just, there really isn't any, any difference, you know, as far as like what it does from like a win perspective, from an entertainment perspective, like I would rather have a greater chance at a payout in a top hundred finish. Like you can look at some of those teams, man, you can hit the fucking nuts in the main event and have a 13th place team that <laughs> I don't even want to pull it up what it returns. Like it's demoralizing. You could hit the nuts and basically break even on a portfolio of teams. And I mean, also it's like, uh, it would be different if it was even like a cumulative scoring type thing, but it, 
I mean, it really does come down to like Amon Ross St. Brown going off in week 17 or Noah Fant going seven for 92 and a touchdown in week 17, like just so easy. Uh, and it's just the flips are, are just so massive, which is like in DFS, you understand that, that the flips are massive. It's one week. It's self-contained. You know, the stuff you did for the last six months doesn't matter. But then for the main event or for underdog to get there and be in the final, and then it's like, oh, I just lost generational wealth by like four and a half points because Melvin Gordon twisted his ankle or Jamar Chase left the game early or whatever. So uh, I'd say, here's here's three things it sounds like I'm guessing you would be on board with to trying to fix high-stakes season-long leagues and rank these in the order that you think they would ever change. Smoother payout structures, uh, no kickers or defense, and, um, oh, uh, less frequent waivers. So maybe a quarterly waivers or a monthly waivers instead of weekly. Oh, no, I like weekly waivers. No, you're disgusting. I you do. Actually... I do. Have you ever heard me complain about waivers ever? Have you ever, have you ever like messaged me and been like, I, oh, I haven't even looked. I can't even think about it. I like, I enjoy doing waivers. La only time I heard you complain is that we didn't bid enough for Taysom Hill last week. 21% of the snaps. I mean, it's, it's all good. It's all four good. and a half points. I mean, our waiver wire picker Hunter we, Henry outscored him. Trust the process. We should have, we should have bid more on Deion Jackson on Sunday morning. Um, yeah, I, I would say, I would think no kickers and defenses might happen like as soon as next year. Like that just feels, that just feels like it's, it's just, that's the direction it's, it's heading. And that actually feeds into number three, which is waivers, right? Which is like, Doing waivers to pick up Mike Boone or Elijah Mitchell or Deion Jackson is like, at least that's kind of fun. Or, yeah. or like you can sell yourself on upside. But like when I'm doing kicker waivers on a Friday, I mean, I'm literally just sorting by projected points and then cross-referencing cross yeah. on my team. You know, like that's horrible. That's no fun. Um, I, I, I think a, a trade that, I mean, this will never happen, but a trade I would love to make in the main event would be trading kicker and defense for an extra flex spot. Yes. That would be... Uh, unbelievable. That would be, that would be great. Uh, that'll never happen, but I would right, say, you, in or go ahead. No, I just like, it's the difference between like, if you play in a standard ESPN league, standard scoring, two running backs, two wide receivers flex versus you play in a four lack four flex lineup. Like the more spots there are, the more chances there are for your opponents to make mistakes. And so that's something we would want. If you think you have an edge, you want more chances for them to screw it up or then the structural stuff comes into play even more with an even added more. flex spot. Yeah. Yeah. I play uh, in my home league. We have, we have two running back, two wide receiver, but three flexes. And it, I mean, it is, it is nice. Like you're starting Khalil Shakir during the bye weeks and stuff, uh, which is, is nice. I would say in order of likelihood, the, I would say kickers and defense removal, first flatter payouts is second they'll never go to weekly or uh, bi-weekly or monthly it'll just never happen hang on even as a waiver lover and we just talked about how a lot of the fun players are already stashed there hasn't been like a waiver wire windmill dunk ad yet you're telling me that the experience wouldn't be benefited from having waivers like every three weeks or every four weeks i have one quarterback and dak twists his ankle I just, it's just, it's not, it's, it, it is, it is a better, it is but, a, a worse user experience. But that same dynamic happens in the FFPC playoffs, right? Week 15 through 17, your lineup locks, you can't make any pickups. And part of the strategy is talking through, do I want to carry two kickers in case one gets hurt? Do I want to carry two uh, quarterbacks? Speaking, speaking from experience, carry two kickers. Just, uh, I'm just putting it out there. So I'm saying uh, you can fix this easily, like add a couple roster spots. You could even have an extra kicker roster spot thing, or you could go to team kicker. Like there's ways, there's ways around it to where, I don't know, man, I just, I, every year we say the same thing. I love doing the live draft streams. Like that's what's so much fun. I love co-managing, but man, I, I hate it. Every time I have to pay the piper with waivers. You just got to hire an intern, right? Like, uh, sounds like, like I need like, to hire you. Jeez. I mean, I do. I, I always, I put the waivers in there for our team and you guys always tell me it's too damn high. Well, I mean, what can you do? <laughs> you, you can't spend, you can't spend the money if there's, if there's nothing left, but I, I mean, Smoother payouts is such, uh, you know, it's like they're just there's no incentive on their end if the contest is filling to flatten the payouts. You know, that is really what it comes down to. Like under, like I don't, and I love our friends at Underdog, but they probably want to make it even more to first place next year. 
Well, they've already been on the record as saying that there's kind of like diminishing returns, like for the tournament. Like they don't want it to be like the five dollar DraftKings one with what over a million people in it. Like that. No, then, it's because eight eight hundred and sixty eight thousand, which is like just an absurd thing to say out loud. Because at least like at the current size, like I would say underdog, the best ball mania three is at the tipping point of like, you can realistically lie to yourself that you have a chance of winning. Like once you, once you're over 800,000, you're just like, screw it. Like it ain't happening. It truly is a lotto ticket um, type of thing. So I think they, I would like to see, and I think we will see kind of like tournaments like maybe maybe they go to like three flagship tournaments like an early and that's, mid and that's late. what i would i i would i would prefer like because i love the puppies because they're adp snapshot contest yeah and you don't have you don't have that variable so much of oh well uh you know i drafted or i i didn't get player x who is an insane value in june and I, therefore I can't win or whatever, which I right. guess was less impactful this year because we didn't have any huge injuries before the season started. But just, you know, for example, uh, I, I don't know, Derek Henry gets injured and you didn't spend a bunch of rounds drafting uh, Hassan Haskins or whatever. Like you, you almost feel like you're drawing dead. Yeah, and there still is like an element. Like I say I went to the future and I could find out who the top 10 scoring players were at running back, wide receiver, and tight end for week 17 and then went back in time and gave that information to you with your 150 bullets. I bet you're still a dog to even finish top 10 in Best Ball Mania 3, even with that knowledge. Because you got to think about the labyrinth of advancing through those other weeks. And like, sure, you might be able to jam all of them. Like the point is, is just, it's this, the deck is statistically stacked against you. even, even with a massive edge in that contest size. Yeah. I mean, Herzig did the math. It's like, you're, you're, if you 150 max it, you're, you're some, I don't, I don't even remember what the percentage was. It was very low to make a team to the final. And then, you know, then you have to adjust that up and down based on what your perceived skill is versus the field, which looking at my portfolio uh, full of all these dusty Denver Broncos, uh i mean it does this this broncos thing by the way completely breaking my brain i i could not have projected this if they played this season a hundred times like were we just stupid should should we have picked up more on this like what i don't know it's just totally breaking me i mean i don't know what like some people have been trying to tell me that there were red flags with gino um I, I wasn't really buying it, but I think there probably should have been red flags with Nathaniel Hackett, right? Like he that's, just looked. That's the bigger issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks so, so bad. Uh, and, and then you see like what Dayball's doing with Daniel Jones and fucking no wide receivers out there. It's like, yeah, Mar- imagine Mar- Marcus Dayball. Johnson. You're telling me that Dayball with this Broncos team and even Russ Wilson for his issues wouldn't be getting more out of them? Like, I, I, I bet this team would be, we'd be viewing them completely different with positive coaching or give Dayball to the Cardinals. Like, I bet we'd be viewing them completely different too. Okay. I, I'm going to run through the green or uh, Nathaniel Hackett's offensive coordinator rankings. This is where they ranked in terms of passing yards on offense. Every year, he was not an offensive coordinator with Aaron Rodgers. 2013, 28th in yards. 2014, 18th in yards. 2016, 20th. 2017, they were 17th. Uh, 2018, they were 26th, and then his first year with Rodgers, they were 17th in passing offense. I, I didn't even, to be honest, I should have probably, like, I don't know. Maybe there were some warning flags out there. Well, and if you think back, and I remember this as a, as a former, uh, you know, now liberated fan, but a former Broncos fan, I mean, this was the move that they pulled with, with uh, Peyton Manning, right? Elway went yeah. and courted him, and the whole reason we were able to get him was because Elway was the GM and he had a good rapport and it really did think that they were trying to run this back. They're like, Hmm, how do we recreate this? Oh, we'll get Rogers, you know, offensive coordinator and try to court him there. And then he stays. And then it's like, well, I guess Russ and Nathaniel Hackett could just figure it out. Like it does really feel like the whole selling point of Nathaniel Hackett was to get Rogers. And then that didn't happen. Well, that was something that Albright said recently was that apparently they were in communication both with Russell Wilson's people and Aaron Rodgers' people, which leads me to believe that the eventual hiring of Hackett, like they thought they were going to get Rodgers, and then the Russ thing was kind of like the fallback option, which makes more sense given that Hackett 
doesn't look like I'm just looking at this production, just like does not really look like that good of a coach and obviously was just with Rodgers. And I guess Russell Wilson probably would have signed off on it, obviously, or he would not be playing for the Broncos. Like his camp must have signed off on it. But it does feel like the whole thing was designed to bring in Aaron Rodgers and not Russell Wilson. Yeah. Uh, like, where are you at on this? Like, Pete Carroll's now actually a secret sharp, and he was hiding Russell Wilson. And like, or is he just running hot right now with how Geno's playing? I don't. I don't think he's running hot with how Geno's playing. I think he's running hot with. Oh well, okay, yes, he is running hot with how Geno's playing. Like, obviously, we saw if they if on you know if the Cardinals were a competent team they win that game they're just they're not a competent team but I think the overall environment of the NFL being lower scoring and quarterbacks other than Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts are playing worse than their average is is bleeding into his favor a little bit like there was a great article shit I, I want to say football outsiders I, I can't say for sure but about how rushing efficiency after being basically useless for the last five years of football is totally returning because of the goddamn too high safety stuff, you know, oh, where it's like yeah. they just they're just inviting you to run. And if you can run at five yards a clip when they're doing that, then the safeties start to creep in. And then, you know, it's just like this is all very well worn territory. Um, but I mean, like, look at look at the results they've got. So they they win the emotionally charged Broncos game, which I mean, they the two fumbles on the one yard line very easily could have gone the other way. They get blown out by the 49ers they lose to the freaking Falcons who play like the worst brand of football of all time. The lions look like an all time historical anomaly on both sides of the ball. They lose to the saints in another weird type game. And then they, they grind out a gross game against the Cardinals. Like my guess is the Seahawks end up winning like six games and no one is, is touting this Pete Carroll is a mega mind thing. Although there's long been this theory and, and Pete Prisco was one of these guys that had this, that, it like was not a mistake. It was not by accident that that Russ was not cooking. And it was that if you if you really did try and design this whole grand opera around him, he would prove to be a suboptimal conductor. And it's hard to tell what's age and what's injury, but that it does seem true. Yeah, I'm sure like all things, there's a little bit of you know truth in the in the middle to yeah. all of that stuff. One thing going back about like talking about points being um down on the year it feels like i mean we have to institute a rule that you get at least six days in between games right like this thursday night football like short week product has just been consistently bad like there has to be a correlation like human bodies are not built to take on that kind of beating on a sunday recover travel practice get acclimated to new weather and time zones and play within three days like that's fucking absurd i mean how about this the london teams didn't get a week off this year the london teams went traveled across the fucking ocean and came back and had to do that whole thing and did not get a week off i just don't like no one's pushing back on like the nfl is always going to get their money but just like we've already extended the the season in years past with COVID and stuff. It's just like add the second bye week, make sure anyone playing on Thursday night is coming off of a bye. Same with the London teams. Like the product is so bad. It's like a full blown punchline. I'm watching these Amazon prime, you know, halftime hosts trying to like sell us on this being interesting. And one, I'm like, no one's one touchdown, <laughs> one touchdown in week four and week five Thursday night. Taysom Hill scored more touchdowns on like six touches than in Thursday night football combined over two weeks. Oh, it's, it, it's really terrible. And I mean, this is, this is the, the, uh, the NFL hates this one secret trick to understanding football. Uh, the, 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 the dirty, dirty secret of football is that watching games in isolation is actually horrible. It's super slow. A lot of the possessions end and nothing happening, you know, teams going forward on fourth and not getting it punting kicking field goals, you know, outcomes that are just not that exciting. The, 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 the secret sauce to the NFL is that there's all the chaos happening at the same time. Uh, and, and they've gotten also, they've gotten very lucky with, um, like marquee playoff games the last couple of years too, like bills chiefs last year. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, buck Buccaneers Packers the year before, like really great games against good teams, but a lot of football is just horrible to watch. 
And so watching one game in isolation at a time is like not a good product. No. And, and truthfully, like in previous years, I just did not watch Island games, like full stop. I'd build my showdown lineups. I'd wait for inactives. I'd have a lot of fun building those, getting those into contests. And then if I had a sweat, which of course was uh, very infrequently, then I'd check in in like the fourth quarter to watch. But now because I am doing two hours of radio each day on Sirius XM, because I'm writing the newsletter, often recapping the night before, like I yep. am watching more of them. And so I have felt like the pain, like I'll take at least the Broncos Colts one was just so catastrophically bad that there was like a, it's like, you, you know, could, couldn't turn away, couldn't look away. Whereas the, the one last week was just so abysmal that I was like, what, what am I even doing, man? This is, this is horrible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, bears, bears commanders, one of the worst football games I've ever seen. And, and I mean, we got more crap. We got more crap coming this week too. I mean, the bears or the, the Broncos again on primetime, just absolutely miserable. And then we get Cardinal Saints, the, dude. It's gonna be so bad. Like, like every Saints skill position player is dead. Alvin Kamara just got 29 touches. He's got to play four days later. Hollywood Brown probably out for the year. I guess Hopkins is eligible to return. So maybe that makes maybe that becomes slightly more interesting. But like it's honestly, yeah. we know what we're gonna see. Greg Dorch is about to just get fed, you know, like they, we're just about to see, we're just about to see the Dorch machine getting 11 targets for nine yards. Well, did you see Cliff's, he had a, he had a quote, I assume it was from yesterday and they were asking him about yes. DeAndre Hopkins entering the lineup. He's like, we'll see, it might be tough to get him integrated on a short week. It's like, <laughs> first of all, how insane are you to think your offense is so complicated that one of the most respected veteran wide receivers in the league can't slot in and figure out this system? I mean, get the fuck out of here, Cliff. Well, do you, do you, the other money quote that he had was, oh, yeah, these offensive struggles are new to me. <laughs> They're not new to us, bud. They're not new What's, to us. I mean, it's like I kind of liked the hiring of Cliff for what it signaled for the NFL as a whole, which is like going towards, you know, passing a lot, you know, 70, 30 pass to run split short passing instead of running and everything. But like, you know, the call was coming from inside the house. This guy had a losing record with Patrick Mahomes in college. So it should have like, it just should have been one of those spots that was like, maybe cliff. Uh, I mean, maybe we can give him a shot, but maybe don't give him the contract extension when he hasn't won a playoff game. Yeah, I know. And it's almost like it's kind of a light version of like the McDaniels thing, too, where it's like he's just he he has too much on his plate as a head coach that he can't focus on what he probably did well initially, which was like designing, you know, unique offenses. That was the whole thesis. And I think he's probably just overwhelmed by the amount of things he has to do for being charitable to Cliff Kingsbury. But he's I, just I totally I totally buy that. I actually yeah. totally buy that. Like. I think that's probably an, a good I idea of what's happening with Hackett too. Yeah. I, I actually went back and looked. Some of these guys have been a head coach at like a college or whatever. I mean, Hackett's just never been a head coach. Never, ever. So it's like, and, and obviously, I mean, we see this happen in football all the time. These guys are so confident. Obviously, you have to be very confident to get to that spot. You have to be pretty successful to get to that spot. So, of course, Hackett is like, you know, in these meetings, like, oh, hell yeah, I can do X, Y, and Z. And then it's like day three on the job. And he's like, I have no idea what I was in for, you know. And I don't I don't know. Like, that was kind of one of the first times I had the boomer thought of like, shit, I understand why these why these franchises just keep hiring guys who have failed as head coaches before. Because, like, at least they know what the job entails. Yeah. And I mean, at what point though, too, like, don't you think optimal is really having specialists, uh, at everything and you don't yeah. like, you almost don't even have a head coach. Like, wouldn't you want like co-head coach between like offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, like division of power, like specialists at everything. Like, obviously I know someone at the end of the day has to put their foot down and, and make decisions, but it's like, there's too many things and too many important decisions for one person to overrule all of them. Um, although maybe the Patriots would, would disagree, but I think no, Belichick's I think, probably pretty unique in that regard. No, I think, I think the Patriots model actually probably is best is you have the head coach. Who's kind of like the CEO who, who, who is kind of directing what he wants, you know, making the fourth down decisions. Like, you know, some of the, some like Belichick at the end of the day has to answer for the wins and losses, not the OC and the DC and stuff. But I think having like a really specialized defensive coach, a really specialized offensive coordinator. And I think probably most importantly is the head coach. If the head coach is 
a Belichick uh, type in general, like more of like a CEO, like don't mess with the offensive coordinator. Yeah. I mean, the da- Dallas, great example of this, like Mike McCarthy, pretty bad at his job, but has a really talented roster and a really talented offensive coordinator. And you can just like, you can just, you just get the spidey sense of knowing when McCarthy is messing with the Kellen Moore stuff of being like, that's eh, got McCarthy's fingerprints all over it. And yep. I think with a more clear division of labor there, that could actually probably work out. The McCarthy, Kellen Moore thing could probably work out, but can't, like it, McCarthy's just given too much leeway. So I think probably that's got to be the most optimal. And then also maybe even having um, like a game theory assistant, game theory time management coach, who's like whole job is like, we're going for it here. Yeah. And and uh, we're taking a timeout here or or stuff like that, that the head coach either has to listen to or it's like someone he actually trusts. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It, it, I think there's probably just so much of an established culture with how this stuff works with hierarchies and coaches like it'll take a while for it to topple. But at least these some of these coaches like are getting younger and younger. Um, but man, I, I do sympathize because it is like it's like seven or eight different jobs. It's why like the college coach thing too, like the amount of stuff they have to do. It's like, imagine that Saban calls plays, bro. He doesn't care. No, no. But I mean the skill sets, like he, he's a fucking traveling salesman. Like the majority of his job, like there's so many different skill sets associated with this. It's like no one person would also be the best salesman in the, in the room and also the best X's and O's guy. And also the best motivator of talent, like best at calling plays. Like, it just, it's too many skill sets. It has to be divided up. I mean, I actually think, uh, I actually think the way that Alabama does it has got to be pretty close to like super optimal because so they have, not only do they have offensive defensive coordinator, they have associate coordinators on, on offense and defense. And these are, uh, you know, obviously because it is Alabama, you know, these are guys who are way overqualified for the job, like Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator for Alabama, like a, a guy who's a head coach of the NFL for a long time. But I guarantee Nick Saban pretty much leaves the offensive and defensive stuff up to those coaches. Like I bet I would, I, and maybe this is wrong, right? And maybe someone will correct me. I'm always open to being wrong, but I bet he's not going in the offense, you know, the, the quarterbacks meeting and is like, you know, we really got to start running mesh more. We're not, we're not, you know, or, or uh, you know, the drag that this wide receiver, he's got to do it like this. Like I bet he pretty much lets them do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like, I, again, because I've been doing more radio this year and it's just like talking about the teams and stuff like this, the coaching decisions, personnel deployment. It's like, you know, it, it fills time. Like it's something to talk about. I still well, I'm, think I'm very the, familiar. Yeah. Yeah. But like at my end of the day, like what's fun for me is the game of fantasy and these tournaments and game theory and leveling and all of this stuff. Like that's what I enjoy talking about. I like talking about, Oh guys, you could stash and how to get ahead and get edges on the thing. I love when Thorman tweets out like these three defenses are on by next week. You might want to get ahead of it. Like that's, what's fun to me. Like, I don't mind talking about Nathaniel Hackett and offensive schemes, but like, that's not what no, makes all, it for me. It's all, all that's fun. I mean, and you know, I do a lot of like mass consumption TV stuff and we don't get to talk about anything. I really like, you know, we don't, we don't get to talk about, you know, like, uh, like where does Taysom Hill actually rank? And like, what's the game theory and like tight end scoring is down. It's just like, you should pick up CJ Uzama this week. He, he did see four targets, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. which is like, I mean, that's what people want. And I mean, uh, you know, Matthew Barry has like kind of always said this probably is the best at this, which is like, you guys might like your, your nerdy little shit, but 90% of people who play fantasy football are in a 10 team league with their buddies. And like, Eno Benjamin is on their waiver wire and you can't be snotty towards them. But like, those aren't my people. Those people probably don't care about my stuff. I also want to just put this right. Cause I, I've been on the other side of this and now I'm on the other side with taking calls on Sirius XM. I'm just going to tell you guys full stop right now. The next time you guys tilt that like, oh, someone says pick up Kenneth Walker, whatever. I promise you that that advice One is million. real and applicable to a large swath of people. You will not believe the amount of people calling in like a majority of people saying, should I burn my number one waiver spot on Kenneth Walker? Should I do that? I get it. I'm in the same leagues that those guys aren't available in. But for you to think that this is just like made up and that, fantasy analysts want to just like tout the the best plays even though it's like no people play in shallow and soft leagues and the people playing in shallow and soft leagues want this advice 
more than anyone. So when stop trolling Sigmund Bloom or Barry or whoever for recommending a play that I guarantee you is widely available in their audience's leagues. I mean, Bloom, Bloom does it too. Like Bloom on like his way, he'll be like, yeah, you should pick up Kenneth Walker, which is like, I, and honestly, I don't do that because I do our waiver show mostly aimed at main event stuff. And I bet if I marketed it, like if I did it more for like 10 team ESPN leagues, more people would listen. And honestly, it would probably help more people like the same 600 FFPC grinder bros listen to my show. And they're like, dude, you think Dion Jackson is out there in my league? I scooped him for seven bucks in week two when he got elevated from the practice squad. I know it's, it's crazy. I was tilting uh, our guys over on ship chasing. We have, uh, uh, Dricko and Sam Sherman who are doing stat chasing this year. And some guy was like chirping in the comments being like, don't just say who to pick up list off the guys you would cut for him. And I was like, you want these guys on a show that's already densely packed. It's, to it's, go already, every- it's already oh, 90 God. minutes long. That is trimmed. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Uh, also become a YouTube member. And I'm sure they would answer your question in the discord, but yeah, it, I do think it's just, it's naive to think, and I've I've really come around on it. Like I'll have guys come in and they're like waffling between like these two quarterback plays. And then I'm like, who else? What other quarterback do you have? And they'll be like, Oh, I have Jalen Hurts. I was just worried about the matchup against the Cowboys. And I'm like, dude, why why are we discussing? Why are we discussing Kirk Cousins right now? You're playing Jalen Hurts. Like it is not, and and I think it's fine. Like both you and I make content for like very hyper engaged like sickos because that's what's interesting for us. But this is more a PSA. Next time you try to go troll major fantasy analyst who has over 50,000 Twitter followers in a massive platform, I promise you his audience has Kenneth Walker available in their leagues. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like it, it, it truly is as simple as like, just look at the rostered percentages on Yahoo and you'd be like, wait, Kenneth Walker is owned in 43% of leagues on Yahoo. Yeah. That can't be right. But like, it is right. Yeah, and it's like, look at, I remember it was uh, it was two weeks ago. It was a Brandon Cook's Chalk Week at DFS. And of course, because Davis, we play the Frito-Lay Snacks and Snap series, which Rest in Peace just ended. I mean, he Brandon Cook's was like 5% in that. And he was like 25% in like most of our contests we play. It's like, no shit. Like sharper contests are going to have more efficient ownership and sharper plays. Like you could have gone and told an exclusively Frito-Lay snacks and snap series that Brandon Cooks was a good play. If we would have said that on one of our shows, Davis, everyone would start booing. No shit. You chalk donkey projects best. At the <laughs> it's like, yeah, but people playing this contest don't know that they need to be spoon fed it. Yeah. No, it, it, it really, I mean, and it's like, uh, also, I mean, this is just such like a large cultural conversation, but like, you know, people like to tune into stuff that like makes them mad. You know, there's there's like the feedback loop of enjoying being mad, which I I am I think I'm a lot better at that these days. I I really am not I'm not arguing with people on on Twitter so much and actively engaging with things that that tilt me. And also, like both you and I do a ton of different stuff. I even probably do more across like a, a wide variety of spectrums than you do. Like I get that not everything I do is going to be interesting to you. Like yeah. my two-hour show on Sirius versus my GPP strategy show on Fridays with JM. Like those are for wildly different audiences. There's like no overlap. And I'm okay. Like if if you're not interested in one of those, but are interested in the other, like I get that. Like that's not a weird thing. But I do think some people want find that like weird of like there are levels to this and there's a bigger fantasy audience out there than those who as uh, Adam Levitan would say, were are grinding their dicks off. Yeah. What's your biggest regret from best ball season? Not, not, not like Trey Lance, right? Like Trey Lance season ending injury. You can't control for that. But what's your biggest, like probably should have picked up on this and, uh, and done something about it. Like what, like if you could, if you could have one back, so I don't know, like, I think if I thought about this for longer, I could come up with a better one. But I will say, uh, for the most part, this offseason, I did a pretty good job of being a robot, much to the chagrin of a lot of people that say, oh, your exposures are too flat, take off your condom whatsoever. Yeah, I got fucking caught up, Davis, in the last two to three weeks, Kyle Pitts hype. Like, I just, my robot brain. Every, every draft. I took him every time. Every draft fucking ignoring Mark Andrews mid-second. I don't give a shit. Like, my brain just, like, broke. I was like, Kyle Pitts is going to be the greatest tight end we've ever seen. And that was, I was like, how did I fall for that? Like, I got caught up in it so much. That one preseason game probably cost me so much money. (laughs) So much money. Yeah, so I did that. Terrible. I do, I also feel, um, 
pretty, 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 pretty bad about not balancing exposure between Sky and Alave, which I got closer to getting it at the end. But Sky was like such an obvious slow burn. Um, and, uh, and, And Chiefs running backs too, all of them. They're all bad. Clyde's bad. McKinnon's bad. Pacheco's bad. Ronald Jones obviously uh, recorded zero snaps this year. I mean, the the Chiefs somehow are like the third highest scoring team in the NFL, and they have two fantasy relevant players. It's it's really unbelievable. I would say the other one that I messed up on is once the dead zone running backs were getting pushed out of the dead zone and continuing to ignore them. So like David Montgomery stayed in the dead zone, and I don't mind having so little of him. But when Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders and CEH eighth round picks. Yeah, and I, I did. I, I drafted a decent amount of Miles Sanders, but like Josh Jacobs is obviously the one. Leone told us we fucking jumped the shark, and of course he was right. Like he wasn't a dead zone back in the eighth round. That was a zero RB pick yeah. at that point. Like I should have been fucking smashing the shit out of it, but I was anchored to my dead zone perceptions despite the cost not being dead zoney anymore. Yeah, that is uh that that is a hundred percent accurate. Uh. What do you think the first round on underdog is going to look like next year? I mean, so many first round, like is CMC going to be a first round pick? I don't know. Uh, Najee Harris is not going to be anywhere close to the first round. Derek Henry's not going to be anywhere close to the first round. I wonder if Nick Chubb, if he keeps up on this pace, despite having zero receptions, like if he ends, if Nick Chubb ends with 1700 yards and 20 touchdowns, he might, he might creep in there, but I, I think it could be 10 wide receivers in the first round. Well, here's the thing. I definitely agree. Like, we're going to continue to see the wide receivers push up. I wouldn't be surprised to see four of the first five picks being wide receivers in most leagues. What's really interesting, and if you look at the resurrection ADP right now, you have five quarterbacks going in the first two rounds. That that won't happen. That'll, that, that, that will, Allen will be a second round pick next year. Hertz will probably be a second or third round pick, but they're just, no way are they going in the first. No way. I know. it. I, I agree with you. Um, it's just, it's crazy. And I do think some kind of level of recency bias will affect this. Like, if if you see, like, Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts teams, like, across the board in the Best Ball Mania three finals, and one of them puts up a 40-burger, dude, like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, you know, Justin Herbert going at the 2-3 turn. Like, if that's the meta, you need to, an elite quarterback to win, like, the ADP will reflect that. And I've been shocked. Like I did a handful of the resurrection contests and I think I fully faded the early QBs because it's just like, I'm sorry, I can't take, you know, Justin Herbert over Devonte Adams guys. Like I'm just not doing that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, which is like, I mean, and we've seen this happen before in the NFL after the 2011 season, which was like, and it snapped back. Uh, now maybe Josh Allen is unsnap backable and he really will just be average like 33 points a game and be that much better. Cause I mean, that's the, uh, JJ's pointed this out too. Is like, not only are the, the first, like the early quarterbacks doing so well, but the quarterback 10, 11, 12 is like way worse uh, because scoring is down. So if, if you can't, like if you can throw for 303 and rush for a touchdown is like, that's just so much better than 220 and two. So it yeah. is, it is pretty interesting. It will be like, I'm already, like, what do you think, you know, you can say in the first round that the wide receivers are going early. I mean, that trickle down effect is going to happen everywhere. Like I've already, we've already joked that next draft season is going to be miserable for the way we like to draft. I mean, what kind of level of course correction do you think we're going to see? I mean, it's going to be nuts next summer. I mean, assuming that production looks something like it does now yeah, and no running back goes in the first round and five or six wide receivers go in the first round of the NFL draft, which looks like that is what is going to happen. I mean, it, it truly is just not going to be fun. And Kelsey is going to be 34 next year. It's pretty hard to take. I mean, it was kind of hard for me to take a 33 year old in the first round. Like I just, if Travis Kelsey is a 111 ADP, I just won't take him. I don't think I can. Well, right. So think about this. It's like, um, if no one wants to take anything but the elite quarterbacks, like the top three to four, no one wants to take the elite tight end except fucking Mark Andrews. No one wants to take the elite running backs or basically any running backs. It's like the the wide receiver avalanche we are going to see is just going to be absolutely unprecedented. You better, (laughs) you better stay well within the Mark trails. You better, you better not, you better not take too many detours or you're going to get buried. It's going to be we really like you tweeted this. I mean, we just really need Derrick Henry, D- 
David Montgomery, uh, Brian Robinson, I guess, instead of Antonio Gibson. I mean, we need some of these guys. Nick Chubb. I mean, I would actually love if Nick Chubb settled as a first round pick because that'd be one guy. I, yeah, <laughs> that would be that'd be the guy. Which I, you know, Nick Chubb, great running back, but not not taking him in the first round. Um, number one overall pick next year, assuming that all of our favorite guys don't get hurt. I assume like the whole summer will end up having like age cliff conversations for Cooper cup, not saying that he's actually susceptible to that, but I bet that'll be the narrative. And I think Justin Jefferson will be the, the one one across most leagues. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think that's the guy. All right, man, let's get out of here. Tell the people where to follow, where to click, where to sign up for shine up to be a VIP, all the good stuff. Yeah, if you want to hear about picking Kenneth Walker up in your leagues, you can tune into uh, SiriusXM uh, 11 to 1. I'll tout that. Um, yeah, no, I'm having fun with all the DFS content. Do the the Monday morning streams, Friday strategy with JM. Do the Sunday morning crams for YouTube members. Always a treat to see Davis popping up in the chat for those. And uh, then just the usual stuff. We had uh, we had Davis and Liam on ship chasing on Wednesday, which was a super fun show. People absolutely <laughs> had a blast with that. <laughs> Uh, by the so way good. daniel jones outscored kenny pickett just want that on the record there you go well maybe you should grind some more tape at a truck stop davis <laughs> no pickett got hurt but daniel jones is gonna outscore him anyway yeah um so yeah that's 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 all the uh all the, all the usual stuff but right, I, i'm we gonna go. be getting rugged here soon like i'm i'm like seven weeks six and a half weeks out from having a kid so i don't know what my schedule you're, is gonna look like you're then. you're you're gonna be having a kid during the fantasy football playoffs i mean just i guess just hope your teams are dead by then I probably won't have to hope too hard, David. (laughs) All right, everyone. We're going to get out of here. We'll be back next week. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.